name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now that daylight savings time has ended, it's getting dark really early. The other night I went out for a walk after work, and the early sunset caught me off guard, and I found myself walking back to my place in the dark. As I passed by the church, I noticed that one of our windows was lit up, and it's this one here behind me. It's lit up at night, and it stopped me there in my tracks on the sidewalk along Royal Palm Boulevard. As you can tell, it's a stained glass window of Christ the King, and this is his title which we celebrate today. We celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is the King of the universe and that we've been brought under his most gracious rule. First, he came as our King in great humility, and soon he will return as our King in glorious majesty. And his glorious majesty is obvious from the window. He wears a royal crown and a scarlet robe, and he holds a scepter and an orb in his hands, representing his dominion over the entire globe. It's a really striking image, but to be honest with you, it looks very different from the image that we get this morning from the Gospel of Luke. There, we read not of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, nor of his ascension to the right hand of God, but on this commemoration of his kingly might, we read about his death of all things, his crucifixion between two criminals. Truly, he comes not with pomp or splendor, nor with form or comeliness that we should look upon him, but he comes to us meekly, as though riding on a donkey. He deserves a crown of gold, but instead he's coronated by worthless men who plait together thorns to pierce his brow. Where's his golden scepter? He holds a reed in his hand before he holds a nail. He's clothed in royal purple, only to be derided by his executioners, who part his garments among themselves. For his royal throne, he ascends to the hard wood of the cross. And in his court, there are no lords or ladies, but two thieves, one on his right and one on his left. What unexpected courtiers for this unexpected king. The one thief mocks him. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other thief worships. He says to his fellow criminal in rebuke, Do you not fear God, since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then, turning towards Christ, he acknowledges him as king, saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Tradition ascribes to this thief the name Saint Dismas, which means towards the sunset. And it's probably because that's what side of Christ's cross he was on. St. Luke is the only evangelist to mention his words in this story. His gospel is the only one to tell us about this thief who stole heaven. How is it that out of everyone there on Good Friday, this was the man who understood that Jesus is king, that he in his death was entering into a kingdom? Jesus comes to his own, and his own receive him not, and yet this robber gets it. He sees Jesus for who he really is. As our Lord hangs there amidst the chaos, the soldiers jeering at him, the Holy Mother mourning for him, the words of St. Dismas cut through the noise of mocking and weeping mixed together. As our Lord in his agony hears these words, remember me. What a consolation 
this faith must have been to our Savior and His suffering, so much so that He musters up the strength to respond despite the collapsing of His lungs. And He says to the criminal, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So in one prayer, this man has gone from taking to receiving, whereas in his life he stole what belonged to others. Here in his death he has given heaven as a free gift. How's this possible? He goes from a life of sin to an afterlife of glory, all through a single prayer, remember me. Here he looks to Christ in one act of faith, hope, and love, and he receives paradise in return. From what I can tell, although this man has committed many sins, yet he possesses three qualities of soul which make this life-winning prayer possible for him. He possesses godly fear, humility, and faith. First, the thief possesses godly fear. And this is what he's commending to the other thief, the one who's mocking Jesus. He says, do you not fear God? St. Dismas realizes that he is about to meet his maker, that in Jesus Christ he already has. The other thief is too busy relishing in the ironic suffering of the innocent Lord, too busy to see his own sins and his own need for the forgiveness of God. But St. Dismas, on the other hand, fears God, for he remembers that he is a sinner in need of mercy. Second, the good thief possesses humility. He doesn't consider himself above the law or, like the other thief, feel entitled to escape the consequences of his own actions. Rather, he reminds his fellow criminal, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. It's this honesty with himself that enables him to see that Christ is different. Knowing his own sins, he's able to see the sinlessness of the Savior. He knows from experience what it's like to be guilty, and he knows that Jesus isn't it. Therefore, he says, this man has done nothing wrong. It's through humility that he's able to realize that it is his king who is hanging there beneath the wounds. And third, the good thief possesses faith. Despite all outward appearance of failure, Jesus being surrounded by mockers and hanging on a tree, St. Dismas yet sees with a supernatural perspective. This is what we call faith, the conviction of things not seen. Even as Jesus is dying, the thief sees in this earth's darkest hour simultaneously the coronation of our king. Faith shows St. Dismas that Jesus' death isn't the end but the beginning of his reign on earth and that through the gate and grave of death, Jesus is ushering in a kingdom which is not of this world. So the penitent thief possesses fear, humility, and faith. And after a lifetime of sin, these qualities of soul were enough for Christ to save him. It's enough for Christ to save you and me. Are we like the mocking thief who can't see past appearances, who sees in the crucified one a failure, Or are we like the good thief whose vision pierces through the veil? If we're proud like the one, our vision will be clouded. We'll only be looking for a king who we perceive to be worthy of having people like us as his subjects. But if we're humble like the other thief, we'll realize that our king is there, hanging upon the tree. So at first Jesus comes in great humility, but soon he will return in glorious majesty. To the humble, he will return as a gracious ruler. And to the proud, he will return as a judge. Are we humble enough to see his glory in his humility? 
Or do we have such a sense of self-importance that we miss Him because He seems below us? If we read the Gospels and are bewildered by His association with the lowly, then that shows us that we still have more work to do. Truly, Christ's kingdom is not of this world. He preaches His kingdom not to the exalted, the mighty, the rich, and the popular, but rather to the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. For Christ's kingdom is not like Caesar's. Rather, it's like a mustard seed, a treasure hidden in a field, or a little bit of leaven mixed in with three measures of flour. If you're too great, you'll overlook it. And if you're too self-important, you'll consider yourself to be above it. But if you possess fear, humility, and faith, you, like St. Dismas, may perhaps be granted paradise through a single prayer. Our King, who was once for ruined sinners slain, will someday come again with clouds descending. Then every eye will behold Him, robed in dreadful majesty. The King, who came first in great humility, will come again in glorious majesty. And until that day, we make our prayer, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And yet, during the present time, to all who give sway to Jesus' reign in their hearts already, our Lord reigns as King even now. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And when Jesus was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. To him be the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.